Amen, amen. Uh, I think a special thank you to Samira Tubwell, who played uh, the piano during our communion time. So great job. You can come. <laughs> Excellent job. Thank you so much. <laughs> so, well, and thank you again as well to all of the um, worship team and the readers for that very powerful uh, illustration and demonstration of, of Jesus in all that he does uh, for us. So thank you very, very much. Appreciate uh, Heather who uh, spearheaded the whole, uh, um, I don't know what you call it, <laughs> act thing, <laughs> thing of a deal. <laughs> so anyways, thank you, Heather, for all of that. And uh, boy, I just love the music and theatrical talent that we have uh, in the church. It's so fun to use those gifts to really help us worship God. So, amen. Well, if we could be opening our Bibles to the book of Acts, and we can, yes, the kids at this time can be dismissed uh, to go to Kids' Kingdom. So... Well, today obviously is Easter, so happy Easter again, everyone. Today also is a, uh, another holiday called April Fools, and all I got to say is Easter is no joke, or no fooling, East, no fooling you, or whatever, I didn't really, I didn't really plan that one out, but uh, anyways, we're... We're excited to know that the resurrection of Jesus is absolutely a fact. Amen? And uh, um, it's what our Christian belief and faith is rooted around really these events of these, these, this Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. And because of the resurrection, we believe He lives today. Amen? And... Uh, it's easy to think of Easter and it's springtime, though it was rather chilly this morning, but in, and I, I don't know about the snow business, but anyways, it's springtime and we have Easter eggs and chocolate and that sort of thing, and we can lose the message that Jesus resurrected, but not just that he resurrected, that his, he lives today and his power is at work within us, for those who believe. Amen? Uh, Philippians 3.10 says, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. Ephesians 3.20 says, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. You know, we don't just celebrate the resurrection today, we celebrate the power of God. And we celebrate that revealed in the resurrection is the power of God and that it is available to be at work within us to this very day. So it's not, it has to go beyond an intellectual belief that Jesus rose from the dead. It has to become real to us in experiencing the power in that resurrection. Are you with me there? And we, it, this is all very kind, very nice, and we have the incredible illustration of selfishness to, to, to love and rage to gentleness and all these 
sorts of things. But if we don't experience that in our life, then the fact of the resurrection becomes a religious idea. But when we can experience through the grace of God, the Word of God, the Spirit of God, the, God's power transforming our life, then Easter becomes real. Amen? And Christianity doesn't become a religion that we adhere to. Christianity becomes the life of God within us and overflowing to our world. That's when we know we're really celebrating the resurrection. So today, we're going to contrast two people in the book of Acts. If you're visiting with us, we are in the middle of a sermon series walking through the book of Acts. And it's just been uh, an incredible time, at least for me in my study of it. But we're today uh, in, 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 at the point where we're going to look at two people who came in contact with the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, who experienced some faith, but one experienced the power of the resurrection changing his life, and one actually didn't experience that. And it was, it was, he remained captive to the power of sin and death. And so what we're going to do is we're going to contrast these two people in what was different about their hearts. What was different about their hearts? And so we're going to look here in Acts chapter 8. We're going to be introduced to, or we'll kind of pick up where we left off last week, to a man by the name of Simon. And though he was around Jesus, he was around repentance and faith and these types of things, he would fail to be truly transformed by this power. And we're going to look at another man, the Ethiopian eunuch, who absolutely was transformed. And we're going to see that what this came down to was an individual's heart response before God. And I want us to listen for their heart and let the Word of God and the Spirit of God do His work in our hearts. Amen? And then we will truly celebrate the resurrection power throughout our life. Let's read here in Acts chapter 8. We're going to pick up in verse 9. So we're going to overlap a little bit from where we left off last week. Now for some time... A man named Simon had practiced sorcery in Samaria. He boasted that he was someone great. Okay, do you start to hear potentially what this man struggled with? Okay. And all the people, both high and low, gave him their attention and exclaimed, This man is the divine power known as the great power. They followed him because he had amazed them for a long time with his magic. But when they believed Philip, as he preached the good news of the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Simon himself believed and was baptized. And he followed Philip everywhere, astonished by the great signs and the miracles that he saw. So let's catch up a little bit on Simon. We see so far that he is powerful and he boasts of how powerful he is. <laughs> okay? Now his power, though, didn't come from God. It came from dark places. He, though, probably we presume he was talented, influential for sure. Um, he loved praise from men. He struggled with his ego 
and people were amazed at him. So, but yet when the gospel was preached, what did Simon do? He believed, it says he believed, and was baptized. Now, I want us to um, flip over to Romans chapter 6 real quick. You know, belief in the Bible meant something very different than what we think of belief today. Most of the time when we think of believe in God, if I were to ask the crowd who believes in God, most of us would probably raise our hand because belief in our mind usually means we agree with some sort of fact, like Jesus rose from the dead. We agree with that, okay? And that's a portion of belief, but that's only a small part of belief. Belief in the scriptures actually means much more about than an agreement. It means that I'm, I'm all in. I'm giving my whole life to follow whom I'm believing in. Does that make sense? Do you see the difference there? Um, so he believed, and then it says he was baptized. Now, a lot of us, when we think of baptism today, we can think either of infants being baptized, or we can think of maybe an adult baptism, but it's just more of a symbol. But I want to read here in the book of Romans what the Bible teaches baptism actually is. And it relates to the difference between Simon and the difference between in his heart and the Ethiopian eunuch that we'll study in a minute. In Romans 6, it says, What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? But don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death. In order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. If we have been united with him like this in his death, we will certainly also be united with him in his resurrection. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be done away with that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been freed from sin. What the Bible teaches here, and it teaches it here, and it teaches it all over the New Testament, is that baptism is far more than a ceremony that you go through at church, and it's far more than a symbol that just kind of represents something theological, baptism is actually a union. It's actually uh, where we join with the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Does that make sense? One of the best ways to think about it is uh, uh, eight, it was just eight days ago that we had a wedding here at the church, which I, I see that, where did they go? There they are. <laughs> So Caleb and Cassie got married. Welcome back. Anyways, awesome. Okay. So, but in this wedding, part of the ceremony was the two took vows before God and witnesses, declaring their love for one another. And the Bible says God makes the two one. 
So the two become one. Now, that's a mystery. We don't know exactly how that works, but we know that it's true. Amen? That Caleb and Cassie are no longer Caleb, Cassie, they're Caleb and Cassie. <laughs> okay? Mm, all right? Um, so there is a union that happened. So baptism is just like that. It's not just symbolic. It's a union where we become one with our spiritual king or husband, which is Jesus. That's why the church is called the bride of Christ. Baptism is where the two become one. So it, it, it has to involve wholehearted repentance because if I become one with Christ, then I have to, I have to die to whom I was one with before I became one with Christ. And whom was I one with before? I was one with my sinful nature. Are you with me there? Or was it, is it just me? <laughs> I know you too, right? I loved my sin. I followed it. I worshipped it. I laid my life before it. I wanted more of it. Now, I was ashamed of it, and I kept it, a lot of it hidden, but in my heart, I, sin and death had power over me. So if I'm going to become one with Jesus, what do I need to detach from? What do I need to die to, right? My sinful nature and its power over me, okay? So that's why a lot of people say, do we really, should we really preach repentance along with baptism and forgiveness of sins? And I would say, how can we not? If we don't preach repentance and expect and teach repentance and yet baptize, something is wrong. In, in, in the power of the, of the cross is emptied and we become detached and it becomes just religious. Right? Um, so wholehearted repentance and lordship have to be in the full message in response to the gospel. So we have to, I want us to go back to Acts, okay, now that we understand belief, when it says he believed and was baptized, this is what was taught uh, in the first century by Jesus and the apostles in the scriptures. So I want us to go back to Simon and watch, well, what, what effect, how did this work with him? And, and I want us to start thinking, did Simon really die or did he just go through a baptism ceremony, or maybe he let sin start to creep back in to his heart. Okay, let's read on. Verse 14, when the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to them. When they arrived, they prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit had not yet come upon any of them, and they simply believed, excuse me, simply been baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John placed their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. Now, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this because actually Luke doesn't spend a lot of time on this, and it's not the main point of this section of Scripture. Having said that, there's some things revealed about the Spirit and baptism and the indwelling of the Spirit and the coming upon of the Spirit, which are two different things. So it may seem confusing, but don't let it be overly confusing. If you have questions on it, Talk to me afterwards, okay? But in essence, what happens is when we're baptized in the name of Jesus, 
we receive the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. That's Acts chapter 2 and beyond. That made sense? There's a different revealing of the Spirit called the miraculous gifts of the Spirit that come upon people through a through either an anointing of the Spirit in Acts 2 and Acts 10, an outpouring of the Spirit, so to speak, or the apostles laying on of hands onto one generation. Okay? Now, if you're like, what on earth did he just say? Don't let that bother you. Okay? Um, but write down your questions and we can talk more later. Okay, verse 18. When Simon saw that the Spirit was given at the laying on of the apostles' hands. Now, remember, this is the the miracle, the miraculous gifts of the Spirit. This is the, um, the healing and the power, that sort of thing, not the indwelling. They received that at baptism. Okay? So when Simon saw the Spirit was given out the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money and said, give me also this ability. Now that word, this ability, is also translated, give me this power. Does that make sense? You starting to see where this may be headed? I want this power so that everyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Spirit. Peter answered, may your money perish with you because you thought you could buy the gift of God with money. You have no part or share in this ministry because your heart is not right before God. Repent of this wickedness and pray to the Lord. Perhaps he will forgive you for having such a thought in your heart. For I see that you are full of bitterness and captive to sin. And Simon answered, pray to the Lord for me, so that nothing you have said may happen to me. When they had testified and proclaimed the word of the Lord, Peter and John returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel in many Samaritan villages. So what do we see here with Simon? We see that he believed and was baptized but after you're baptized, you still carry that sinful nature. You, you die to it, but it's still in there until we go to heaven. Amen? Okay, so what started to happen? He saw power. Now remember, he was powerful. He was called himself the great power. Now he saw power associated with the apostles. He wanted power. And Peter replied to him and says, your heart is not right before God. Your heart is not where it needs to be. The answer for you is to repent. He said he was full of bitterness and still captive to sin. That makes sense? Now, so we don't know for sure, it's not, we're not told, if either he never really died to sin when he was baptized, or maybe he did, but he's letting that old sinful nature rule his life again. Does that make sense? And how he ended up, we don't know exactly, but I'll tell you that it's not looking good. Because how did he, what was at the center of even his request for help? What was at the center of it? Me. Pray for me. I don't want this to happen to me. Now, hopefully, um, at some point in time, he got fully cut to the heart and repented, and, um, and, you know, he's in heaven today, you know, but we don't know for sure, but what we do know is half-hearted repentance brings destruction and robs us of our joy. Does that make sense? You know, I can very much relate to this. 
You know, for me, I grew up going to church, and from ever as I can remember, I believed in God. I believed in Jesus. I thought this was true, um, and tried to be a good person and that sort of thing. But as I was growing older, there started to be more sin in my life and more sin that I kept secret. Does that make sense? Um, so I was more and more secretive with what was going on. So more and more I started to have this church world and this private world. And they were getting further and further apart. Now, someone came along and said, hey, why don't you be baptized? And I thought, why not? Oh, uh, sure, I believe in Jesus. It's just a symbol. It's not really that big a deal anyway. So I went and got baptized. So I believed and was baptized but I was still enslaved to my sinful nature. The night I was baptized, I was immoral with a girl and continued to not follow Jesus and, and repent in more and more light and life in my life, but continued to get darker because these two worlds were getting further and further apart. Does that make sense? And... There's, there's, there's something here going on with Simon's heart that is indicative of some half-heartedness. So instead of something like, you know, jealous, okay, repent, be baptized, the power of the Spirit here, and it's like, mm, I'm going to go back to that. And we all experience that, right? That's common experience, Romans 7. But the question is, what begins to rule and reign? And Simon went back to all these. Now, I'm not going to ruin our thing here by turning it around, but that's the truth. Let's now go to the Ethiopian eunuch, and we'll listen for his heart in what may be different. Verse 26, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out, and on his way, he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians. So what do we see so far? There's similarities with Simon. And I think God does this. He presents contrasts so we can learn. All right? So this guy is from Ethiopia. Now, we think of Ethiopia as kind of more central Africa. Back in the day, it was more just the Nile region. So it's more like Egypt, northern Africa, okay? And so he was from there, and it says he was important, okay? He was, in essence, like the Secretary of Treasury for this whole region, for the queen. So he was important. He was very busy. He had lots of responsibility. I'm assuming a, a certain degree of talent, uh, influential, somewhat uh, in a powerful role, so to speak, okay? Uh, but he went to Jerusalem to worship God. In verse 28, on his way home, was sitting in his chariot, reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. The spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you are reading? Philip asked. How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. The eunuch was reading this passage of scripture. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before the shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? 
for his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. So what do we see so far about the eunuch's heart? He had all this influence. He had all this busy, important work to do. And yet, what do we find him? We find an extremely humble heart. Do we not? Listen to his humility. First of all, he was seeking God. He wasn't too busy with all his important work to not see his need for God and to go spend time and to worship God and to read the Word of God. Really, it's honestly... The Bible says it's an, it's an indication of pride in our heart when we simply don't have time to put the things of God where they belong, which is first. Are you with me there? So he was seeking God. He was free with this so clearly educated, very intelligent man, right? And, says, and then Philip says, hey, do you, get, do you get it? Do you understand? Most of us, if, if we say, hey, do you get what you're reading? Most of us initially would be like, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, 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 I get it, right? And, you know, the question of, okay, well, what actually are you reading? Oh, why are you judging me? <laughs> right? You don't see this with eunuch. Like, do you understand? To be honest, I have no idea. <laughs> And I, I, I don't, I just, uh, I'm confused, and I, I just need, need someone to explain it to me. Um, isn't that humble? He was free with the la his lack of understanding. He was free with the fact that he needed help. Guys, when's the last time you really needed help with a home project? And what did you do? I can handle it myself. Like, I've got so many home projects, right, that just get halfway done and down the drain, and I've got to just finally, i got to call someone. So all the money I spent trying to do it myself and the time made it worse, and now I've got to call someone like Mark or Tim or Chris and just, or a prophet, you know, just, hey, could you, could you please help me? <laughs> That's God does that with us. So he was free with his need for help. He was free with opening his heart. He invited someone to come and sit with him to help him understand the word of God. And I'll read on. It says, uh, um, as they traveled along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, look, here's water. Why shouldn't I be baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away. And the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. You know, uh, um, we don't hear ever from the eunuch again in the book of Acts. But what we do hear from church history is that the gospel spread through northern Africa like a wildfire. We have the rest of the book of Acts with Paul going up more into, into uh, Turkey and Asia and ultimately to Rome, kind of the northern half of the Mediterranean Sea. We don't hear much from the northern parts of Africa but we know historically that Alexandria was one of the biggest and strongest churches in the first century. And this is our only connection, was from the Ethiopian eunuch who had a heart for the Word of God, a heart for God, a humble heart to respond to the Word of God that he was taught for a few moments by this strange guy, Philip, who just showed up and then went on his way. 
But that's the power of the Spirit, right? That's the power of the gospel. It's not about the carriers. It's about who God really is. Free in his response to the word of God. Immediate. Here's water. Why shouldn't I be baptized? He was baptized free from the sin, resulting in us incredibly rejoice, rejoicing and freely preaching the word in all of Africa. How do we, how did he end up? We don't know. Just like, how did Simon end up? We don't know exactly, but we know the principle. And the principle is this. The power of the Spirit works when we die to our sins wholeheartedly. When we don't let it creep back in. So as it starts to creep, we get it out and we get it into the light. When we die, not just in baptism, but we die every day, then the power of the Spirit uh, transforms our lives and it lets and it results in rejoicing. How about us this morning on this Easter Sunday? A few questions for you to contemplate. Have you heard the full gospel message? And I'm not talking about just do you believe in Jesus or, or uh, do you think God is real? That's not the full gospel message. The full gospel message is Jesus died for your sins. And was buried and was resurrected. Amen? And the full gospel message has to include we are sinners. And we need to, in order to die to sin in baptism with him, we need to know what that is. And we need to know what it looks like and feels like, <clears throat> excuse me, to be cut to the heart and to repent and to turn to Jesus and really make him Lord. <clears throat> For one time I'm choked up, but I'm not emotional. <clears throat> okay? Um, has your heart ever fully responded? Has your heart fully responded? Or has it been what like mine was, half-hearted in its response? Maybe we're letting sin creep back in. If we let sin creep back in, guys, we can be, it can recapture our hearts and we can become full of darkness and re-embittered. Um, don't let sin creep back in. Use today to say, you know what? It's a, it's, a re, it's a dying to the old self day. Uh, I'm going to repent and turn back to Jesus. Do we know the power of the resurrection, the Spirit really working within us? Be free from sin, death, and destruction. And let's celebrate the resurrection, not just today on Easter, not just Sundays when we come and remember in the communion, but every day. And together, let's go on our way like the eunuch rejoicing. Amen?